your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me on today's episode of the show is my good buddy, Kent Wilson. Kent, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. Just enjoying minus 30 weather here in Calgary. Nice. Nice. Well, hopefully uh, the heat of our takes today will help warm me up <laughs> a little bit. Um, yeah. The Flames are are mired in a, a, a 0-4 and 2 stretch here recently, and you know it's crazy how quickly things can change in this league. Because you and I started planning this about almost two weeks ago or ten days ago uh, or so now, and at the time, you know I think I believe like it was right after that Penguins game, which was their last win. Things were looking pretty good. There were certainly some signs of concern, especially in terms of how their top players were producing. But for the most part, it was kind of what you'd expect from this Flames team. And I think we were expecting to head into this with a pretty positive um, vibe and positive tenor about our conversation. And then obviously things in Calgary have gone off the rails a little bit in in the meantime. Yeah, never boring, right? (laughs) Five and one is one of the best starts they've ever had. And then ever since, it's... As you say, the wheels have come off the bus a little bit, but um, honestly, it was the first three games of the season where they looked like they hadn't missed a beat. Uh, They were completely dominant in pretty much every facet of the game, and then it started to wobble around that time frame, and it's, uh, it's been all bad news ever since. Yeah, I mean, you know, we certainly should mention that the schedule logistics so far yeah. i'm sure kind of played a part in, in trying to find that rhythm and, and and yeah those three games is the perfect start to the season where not only did they win all three games but look who they beat they, they beat the avalanche they beat the oilers and they beat the golden knights and certainly looked the part in all three right and that's you'd figure yeah. the three teams they would probably have to go through in the western conference if they want to take that next step and and compete for a stanley cup this season and so yeah certainly coming off of that three game stretch i was like all right this is great. And I guess, you know, part of what's tricky to reconcile here is I think once we start talking here about Huberto and the top line and some of the new players they brought in, the question of chemistry and all these players kind of coming together on the fly and making it work and getting used to each other is going to come up quite a bit. and It's going to be a recurring theme, but you'd think that would have presented itself right out of the gate. And instead, the first three games are actually the best ones they've played this season. Yeah, the irony is, as you noted, like that first line, was the only issue uh, in the first three games. They mm-hmm. definitely weren't um, They weren't dominating shots. They weren't getting any points. They were scoring on the power play, but the rest of the team looked like the Sutter Calgary Flames of last year. And, um, you know, the funny thing is the top line players are starting to kind of play out of that funk, but the rest of the team has kind of fallen, <laughs> fallen apart in the meantime. So it's, uh, it's one of those things like, Last year, the Flames, watching that team, that is a club where a lot of things went right all at the same time. And in their last, you know, six to eight, six, seven games, it looks like a team where just everything is going wrong all at the same time. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's start this conversation by addressing what I think is the elephant in the room, which is Jonathan Huberto's relatively yeah. inauspicious start to the season. Um, he has two 5-on-5 points in a roughly 145 on five minutes of play so far one of them was against the sabers where as i've noted in the past the puck just kind of bounced randomly off an official's leg and right to him in front of the net and he passed it over for an assist the other one yeah. is as uh, an assist in the most recent game he played against the islanders which was much more jonathan huberto-esque where he passed it in nicely kind of it was either through the legs or under a defender's stick right to michael backland in the slot and he buried yeah. it and that's more of what you want to see um 
There's a number of different ways to take this. Uh, how concerned do you think we should be about the fact that the rate at which he's attempting shots himself and generating chances, basically every single shot metric you look at from an individual perspective for him, is significantly down so far this season on a permanent basis, especially from last year where he kind of peaked in all those categories. I believe he's got only 18 5-on-5 shot attempts in his 11 games so far. And, and the reason why I kind of frame it as how concerned we should be about just that factor is because... You know, we can talk more about the passing in a second, but he's always going to profile as more of a pass-first playmaker, right? You're never going to necessarily going to look at him for shot volume. But I do believe that in the NHL, if you really want to be a potent offensive force, you at least got to keep defenders honest a little bit by at least presenting the idea that you could be a dual threat. And so far, it seems like he hasn't been able to really generate anything himself. And I wonder if we should be concerned about that beyond just all the other stuff that's gone wrong. Uh, I mean, to some degree, you do want um, the the primary weapon in your offensive attack to be, you know, to be dangerous in all facets of the game. The funny thing is, is my concern was actually expressed in Elias Lindholm's individual shot metrics um, mm. when I was looking at. Now he's sort of starting to come out of the funk, but for in the first ten games, I think that's the worst hockey I've seen out of Lindholm during his time here in Calgary, at least. And he was generating less shot attempts at even strength than anyone on the team as the top line center uh, for Jonathan Huberto. I mean, uh, Zadorov had twice as many shot attempts at even strength than (laughs) Lindholm. And when you're the trigger man on a top line with one of the best passes in the league, that's really concerning. Now, all that said, uh, these players have really proven over time that they're much better than this. And it, they're, it's, it could just be new team, uh, new, new teammates, new coach, for at least for Huberto. Um, and it's good, just going to take an acclimation period. I think back to actually Doug Hamilton when, when he landed in Calgary, and he had a pretty good career here despite the way it ended. Um, but his first half season, and especially the first 20 games, were horrendous. He looked terrible. So sometimes it it might just be a settling in issue. Now, if we see this continuing indefinitely, uh, if 20-game mark, 40-game mark, then, yeah, Calgary's in big trouble. Yeah, Lindholm has definitely seemed more involved, especially offensively, the past two games from from what I've seen. And I I think it'll come around. The point is worth making. Like Timing really is everything, not only in life, but also in the NHL. And... I can't help but wonder like how much he would have been paid if he had been an unrestricted free agent this <laughs> this past summer where he's coming off a year where he scores 42 goals, which is easily a career high. He finished second in Selkie voting. All of his metrics were, were through the roof playing on that top line. And instead now he's kind of stuck on this deal where he's making only $3.85 million in real dollars this year, four point eight five next year, and then he'll be 29 when he's up for a new deal. And, you know, hopefully if you're him – you're going to bounce back a little bit here, at least a little bit in the meantime, and the cap is going to rise by then. So you'll be compensated for it to some degree. But man, it's like if I were him, I'd just be looking at that and wondering, especially if you look around and basically everything or everyone around him, not only his line mates from last year, but all the new players that have come to the Flames as well have been compensated accordingly because they were productive last year and we're up for a new deal. And he's kind of the only one that's stuck playing on this previous deal. That's it's kind of like a team team friendly contract that he was on. Yeah. It's unfortunate for the player. Cause he arrived in Calgary as a 40, 
40, 45 point guy from Carolina. And so he didn't have uh, the history to kind of demand that big contract. Um, I think a lot of the momentum will carry through to his next deal unless he completely falls off the rails here. It's been a bad, obviously, start to the season, but, you know, he has been a high-quality player here ever since. He's definitely going to play with Huberto, and if if that doesn't work out, he's going to get his ice time and opportunities. So, yeah, the issue for the Flames, I think, is uh, when his deal's over, I don't know if they can retain him. And, you know, we're starting to talk about a new contention window in Calgary. Uh, so how long is that actually going to be, um, given what the roster looks like? Yeah, that's fair. I guess I, I, depending on how much the cap rises by then, I guess you could say that Michael Backlund himself will also be coming off the books that same summer, I believe. And so yeah. it's possible that, you know, Lindholm, if they decide to keep him, especially given the age gap between those two, then he would kind of soak up a lot of uh, Backlund's money that's coming off the books. But let's stick with Huberto here because, you know, I thought the ga- the re- most recent game that he played against the Islanders, he missed the game against the Devils that they just played last night with an upper body injury. But I thought that game against the Islanders was the most promising one we've seen from him so far, that he kind of was actually looking like Jonathan Huberto again, and especially in the first period of that game. There were about four or five times where he got the puck into the slot, was actually looking dangerous in the offensive zone as a passer. And that's a lot more like the player that we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing and especially the player he was last year when he was as productive as he was i i do genuinely wonder how much of this uh, the struggles for him so far are purely just needing a time to establish a connection with some of these players because definitely it just he looks so out of rhythm to me like don't you think like i i I don't remember ever seeing this number of passes passes from him just kind of like handcuffing teammates throwing it into their feet maybe a tad bit behind there was this play against the devils on saturday night at home where he's skating through the neutral zone a defender hits him with a breakout pass and he kind of bobbles it and then it jumps over his stick he falls trying to recover it and then the devils just take the puck go back the other way and 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 get an opportunity and it just it's it doesn't look at all um like the player that that we've kind of grown to know and that just makes me think that part of this is you know, maybe it's maybe it's being uh, overly glass half full and kind of just not looking at some of the red flags and warning signs. But I, I, I have to think that part of this is kind of like an acclimation process. Yeah, I think there's two parts to it. And one is what you said. It's, you know, new team, new teammates. And, and it's not just him as sort of the broken leg on that line. Like I said, Elias Lindholm has looked nothing like the player. Uh, he's been in Calgary for, for years here. And, you know, Lindholm played hundreds of games with Montreux as his left winger and probably over 100 games with Kachuk as his right winger. So, um, you know, it's, it's it's just going to be very different for those players for a little while, right? So you, you can't really say when it's going to click. Uh, but the other issue is the whole team has kind of struggled at a lot of that stuff, especially after the first three games. Justin Bourne recently published a very useful article on Calgary struggles on Sportsnet, I believe. And he went through their transition and their passing and their bottom of the league in terms of uh, how often they're passing, how much time they're spending in the, in the, the offensive zone. And so the, like the rush offense across the board in Calgary is just off. And the whole team is kind of in this funk right now. And like Huberto, like Lindholm, we watched Sutter coach a team that was much more effective at all this stuff last year. So it's, you know, they've, they've stepped 
off a cliff for whatever reason to start the year. Everyone looks very frustrated. But for Flames fans, we know that all these players should be better, and this coach knows how to coach a team that to, that does these things well. Yeah. Yeah, no, Bourne was, uh, he hit the nail on the head with that one. Way too many one-and-dones one, one and dones that I've seen, especially for a team that yeah. really is going to get you with their volume, right? Like the top line was was so efficient at turning shots into goals last year. But for the most part, when the Flames are at their best, it's these stretches where it feels like they've, they're almost getting like 15 shots in a row before the other team even gets their next one where they're just peppering you with chance after chance and just basically playing downhill. And instead... They're getting into the zone, getting a shot. It's generally not a great one because the passing has been so off for everyone that it's not really east-west or creative. It's kind of more of a direct straight line to the goalie where you can probably stop it. And then it's going back the other way and the other team is just getting a chance. And that's so unlike the Daryl Sutter team that we've seen over the past year and a half or so. Yeah, they the team, when they really hit their stride last year, had this great one-two punch. So it was the top line which was actually pretty much good at everything. You have a Goudreau, who's a transition wizard. He's great at gaining the zone. He's great at backing people off. Just that's what he does. So they had really good rush offense, but they could play in zone too. And then you had the backland line with Manjapani and Coleman as sort of the second line last year. And they are great puck hounds. They get the puck in deep. They cycle it. They make your life miserable, right? So you had... One line that was really good at everything, but rush offense especially, and the other line that could do that great sort of in-zone work. Um, and they just don't have either of those things right now. And then another guy I want to mention is Andrew Majapani. He's also going through one of the worst 10-game uh, segments I've ever seen out of him. So it it really isn't just the top of the roster, it's or, or at least just the first line. There's problems everywhere right now i'm curious what you think about this as a combo then we've seen him for about 20 or 25 minutes so far and, and i guess it, it doesn't make the most sense because both guys are natural left wingers but i did think that having manjipani play with with huberto would help alleviate some of these concerns where you know on paper i think the idea of that top line of huberto lindholm and, and Tafoli makes a lot of sense it's three really good players but you mentioned that the success that top line had last year for them. And I think such a big part of it above all else was Johnny Goudreau's ability to actually threaten an opposing defense with his, with his speed and his ability to attack quickly. Right. And so you're backing up defenders and then all of a sudden that's creating these passing lanes where you can go East West. You can get creative with him and Kachuk. And if you have this top line constructed the way it is right now, as smart as all three of those players are, I don't think any opposing defenses is, is, too worried or too bothered by the idea of them beating them with their speed or with their pace, right? It's much easier to sort of get into a defensive shell and prepare for whatever they're going to do. And they still might wind up, you know, passing the puck around the offensive zone, creating a chance kind of in a more methodical approach. But I'd like to see some more pace on that line, especially with Huberto to open up some of those passing lanes and force defenders to sag off. Now, maybe the answer is the the right winger that needs to be playing with Huberto simply isn't on this roster right now and they need to go get him. Yeah, that's possible, and it's been talked about a lot in market uh, since the summer, obviously. Uh, on paper, Manjapani makes a lot of sense to me on the top line because he's also a great trigger man, um, great puck hound in the corners when he's on. And they have spent some time together, but the problem is the time they spent together, uh, neither player is playing the way he can or should. So they, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of magic uh, when they've been together so far, but a long-term I would like to see it when one or both players is actually playing at, you know, the the level where they're capable of. But you know, beyond that, as you say, 
the Flames probably should be looking for another top nine um, forward, especially a top six right winger. Now, do they have the cap space and assets to do that is the million-dollar question. It is. Um, I think they almost certainly have to if they're serious about competing this season because, you know, when you have, lose a player like Huberto, for example, for a game like against the Devils, it's it's not ideal. You're going to have to make it work. It's it's kind of concerning that it's like, all right, we're bumping Adam Zuchkop to the top line. Or it's, yeah. you know, when they were struggling for a couple games there, it's like, all right, let's experiment with throwing Milan Lucic here into the top six and see if he can get people going. And if those are your sort of break-in-case-of-emergency options, I, I don't think that's necessarily very ideal for a potential Stanley Cup no. contender. So, yeah, I mean, the cap is a clear concern. They've already invested so many resources into this current roster. They're going to have to get creative. Um and also, I guess another complicating factor is they have so much future money tied up already in this group that yep. taking on a good player and playing a premium for them in the trade market that has a contract, kind of like they did with DeFoley last year, sounds great. I'm sure that they prefer that. That's the way Brad True Living has operated in the past, right? They don't really go for rentals, especially after what happened this past summer. I don't think they want that uncertainty hanging over their heads. I think they'd rather get a player who's going to be in Calgary for a couple of years but that all of a sudden becomes really tricky to figure out how that future money fits into the, with this group as well. Yeah, all their money players are signed for next year, except for Lucic, and even with him coming off the cap, I believe they've only got uh, two or three million available to <laughs> fill yeah. up the roster. So it is, it is very challenging, and you know they've already spent a whole bunch of uh, future draft picks, you know, building this roster as it is. They don't have an overly impressive sort of prospect cupboard right now you, you, maybe you can count the number of guys who would be uh, coveted by their teams on one hand but um you know they, they've eaten a lot of their feed stock in terms of their future assets so it's going to be challenging from a lot of perspectives to add a quality top six player this year yeah do you have any do you, do you have anyone have you done any sort of fantasy fantasy workshopping or fantasy booking for like who you'd like to see as a potential target or fit for that group uh, I mean, Patrick Kane is kind of um, a deadline rental hmm. idea. If you can get Chicago to eat a whole bunch of that right. contract, I yeah. think, maybe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you, you start to put guys on a board, and then you start thinking, how do they acquire these guys? Right. And it becomes a lot more difficult, right? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I, I think I didn't really have any other notes on Hubert earlier. I, I did want to say, like, Listen, he's got a, what, 6.7 on a shooting percentage of 515 right now, and he's generally been like a 9 to 10 guy in the past. So I'm not too worried. I think the goals yeah. will eventually come. I, I guess to put a bow on the top line conversation, though, I did want to note that I think one mistake I potentially and, and maybe others made um, after the offseason heading into this year, kind of forecasting ahead and thinking, okay, how do they make this work with these all these new pieces? I think maybe I underestimated just how – pure the top line ran last year for them yeah um you know like they outscored opponents 73 31 whatever five on five they finished fourth fifth and, and ninth and five on five goal scoring between the three of them but they also just had such a high shooting percentage as well and i guess regardless of who took those spots and who came in or even if they brought back that entire top line the results would probably look different than they did and so maybe i think we just yeah. kind of collectively sort of we just assume that, all right, yeah, you bring in Jonathan Huberdeau, he sort of replaces what you're losing with Goudreau in terms of his playmaking. You're not really replacing Kachuk on that top line. You're bringing in Kadri, giving you a bit more depth. But you think Huberdeau, Lindholm, Toffoli, 
three good players they'll make it work but maybe we, we did just kind of not properly account for just how good that top line was and how sort of impossible replicating anything resembling that success would be for them this season yeah, when I did uh, some spots in the off season with podcasts and stuff, people asked me, you know, how do you think this is going to go now that they've made all these moves? And I said, I have no idea. I've never seen an off season like this where a team takes one of the best lines in, in hockey, you know, takes two of those players out, <laughs> completely reforms the line. And as you know, the other thing I said was, even if Goudreau and Kachuk came back, they're probably not replicating that season just because... Um, That's not how hockey works. Every yeah. yeah, everything went right for them. That That is the best top line I've seen operating, covering the Flames since I started writing about them in 2004 or something. And that's, you know, I covered Jerome McGinlock for years. Yeah. And I've never seen that dominant a line for the Flames, and it just probably wasn't going to happen again. So, yeah, the expectations, you know, when all that stuff happened and what Trilliving was able to do out of it, uh, you, you went from this, terrible low at least if you're a flames fan to this to this new high but yeah the expectations of this first line just again being one of the best in the league is probably unrealistic well i think it's kind of telling of of how daryl sutter feels about it as well i mean listen those three together have combined for like one goal so far this season if i on five when, when playing as a group but yeah you know last year he rode and understandably so given how they were producing goodrow kachuk and, and lindholm to such a um, a high degree in terms of the he was trying to get them out there whenever he possibly could and and their five on five usage was you know a significant step up from basically everyone else on on the team and this year you know Kadri leads the team in terms of five on five usage and then after that it's basically everyone between second and like tenth or eleventh is playing nearly the yeah. same amount like on any given night Jonathan Huberto might be playing as much as Trevor Lewis. And not that that's necessarily ideal or something that I would recommend, but I think it's telling when a coach does that, how he feels about the players he has and how they're performing when he's basically just rolling those lines and it's not because they're all playing so well. Yeah, there's a lot of message sending going on in, in Calgary land, I think, with Sutter right now. And and to be fair, I noted this in my Discord community the other day, like usually you would be double shifting your your top six a lot in a game like the New Jersey game or the New York game where it was close in the third period. But uh, his top, the top of his rotation has not given him a lot this year. So he's one, he's communicating to them that you need to be better. And two, you know, you know, I frankly, I think Michael Backlund's been the most consistent forward on the club overall from start to finish this year. And it's, you know, it's, and he, you know, Trevor Lewis has been one of the one of the better <laughs> players by underlying numbers, which right. is like, okay, what does a coach do in that scenario? You know, Keenan used to coach here back in the day, and he would just keep throwing his horses on the ice no matter what. But Sutter's a different coach, right? Yeah, here in my notes, I have just a bullet point: Michael Backlund, most important flame question mark. And even he, in a really important close game against the Devils recently, got benched in the third period. Yeah, and that that was weird. You can see like. There, he didn't do anything in particular that seemed to warrant that. Right. But you can see Sutter getting mad in real time here right now and, and frustrated. So he's doing he's doing things to try to get to through get through not to just to players, but I think the whole team. Yeah. All right, Kent. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we've got a lot more flame stuff to discuss. So uh, you are listening to the Hockeypedia Cast here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. <laughs> 
are back here on the Hockey PDO cast with Kent Wilson doing our uh, Calgary Flames deep dive. Kent, we've talked about the top line. We've talked about the forwards, I think, in general. Should we talk a little bit about Jacob Markstrom here? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. So in his each of his first two seasons with the Flames, the first one being an abbreviated 56-game schedule, he's played roughly 77% of the team's available games in each of those first two years. So far this year, the team's played 12 games. He started 10 of them, including both legs of a back-to-back they just played, understandably so, given the workload wasn't necessarily huge in in the first game. And, you know, uh, we just talked about how Daryl Sutter is trying to send a message, how to take this team going. It's clear that they wanted to have their number one goalie out there in New Jersey. Now, not that he was necessarily responsible for either of the losses by any means, but I'm really curious to follow the usage patterns here because there was a lot made at the start of the year about how Sutter wants to get Vlardar out there for at least one game per week. And I'm curious to see if they actually stick to that and what Markstrom's final game total looks like at the end of the season. Yeah, I think they'll, they would have stick. They will stick to that. Let's say if things go according to plan, meaning if they pull out of this skid and they become sort of, one of the better teams in the league and they don't have to stress about points at certain points of the year. You know, yeah, Ladar can come in once a week and it shouldn't bother anyone, but you're already seeing that plan potentially going off the rails with the team struggling um, and Sutter looking for solutions. So it, re- I think it really depends on, you know, how long this sort of issue continues in terms of their play and their win, win streak or lose streak as it is and how much better they get once they recover. Yeah, well, I think it's it can be a bit of a tough sell when you're paying a goalie $6 million per year, the way they are with Markstrom, especially long-term. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I really think playing him anything over, I mean, 55 as a top, but I would honestly say even closer to 50 to me would be an ideal number. Now, that's that's tricky, especially when you're losing games like this, I understand. But man, yeah. it, it, I don't know. I'm no, I'm no Kevin Woodley here. Okay, I'm not a, a goalie expert by any means. But just from my sort of untrained eye, I don't think there's a goalie in the league that has a bigger disparity in their performance depending on fatigue level or how right they are. Like when Markstrom is a hundred percent and he's good to go, he is so um, kind of just like s- smooth and in control and all the pucks are just hitting him right in the chest and he just covers so much space in the net. And then all of a sudden when he starts getting a bit overworked, getting a bit tired, not only does the injury risk pop up, but I feel like his technique gets so loose and he starts making really bad decisions, like playing the puck, deciding to go out for, for joy rides at times. I mean, I don't think there's a bigger disparity for any goalie between the two sides of it. And so playing him more than 50-ish games. I mean, I would say that probably for most goalies in the league, like the starter should only be playing around 50. But I think in this case in particular, it might be tough to execute in reality. But on paper, at least, I, I think they really need to be careful about how much they're using him this season. Yeah, if your aspirations are a long cup run, uh, you don't want your starter kind of collapsing under the weight of his workload uh, in the first or second round <laughs> in the playoffs, right? So I, I've completely been on this track myself i thought they played him too much last year uh they the team seems to trust ladar or at least the org does because they just resigned him so it's you know unless you're have to win the next game to make the playoffs type of stuff uh they definitely should be sticking with 
you know, we got to play the backup at least once a week moving forward. Well, that's that's what makes it so crazy that he played 63 regular season games for them last year, considering how yeah. relatively set and in good position they were for a lot of the regular season. Like, I, I think in hindsight, I mean, it was easy to see it happening in real time and not necessarily if he had played 50 games, the second round result against Oilers would have been any different. But it's tough to look at that and sort of reconcile the decision to play him as much as they did, knowing what we know. Yeah, especially down the stretch, right? right. Calgary was pretty comfortable, so, you know, get your kid in there and let him get his legs and let your starter uh, rest a little bit. I'm really curious. I mean, it kind of ties into that then, as you said, and we were talking about kind of a team with Stanley Cup aspirations and, and how much they've committed to this group. And it sort of ties into a bigger picture conversation I wanted to have with you about not only the, the roster construction approach that they've had here recently, but sort of whether they've given themselves enough runway or opened up enough of a timeline with this team because they've kind of done my least favorite roster building approach, which is committing a bunch of money and unrestricted free agency to guys in their late twenties, early thirties. When you're, you know, we know it's an inefficient form of spending. You're probably playing a premium for less productive years as players go on their decline. Now they have a really good team right now. They had a really good team last year. It's tough to quibble with it. I think considering the hand they were dealt this off season, they came away from it looking pretty good regardless of these first 15 games or so. But long-term, kind of what are your feelings about sort of whether they've boxed themselves in here, whether the runway is long enough, and sort of all of that roster-building stuff? Uh, I honestly think they have to win in you know the next three years. they got to win something. And it might actually be the next two years given you know the clock's ticking on Lindholm. But uh, yeah, they're one of the oldest teams in the league right now you got a bunch of key guys who might start aging out sooner rather than later backland tana even markstrom's over 30 now and you know the back half of of cadre's and huberto's deals uh you know that their play is going to erode inevitably and the value of those contracts are going to erode so uh and there's nobody on the horizon to come in and start plugging holes you know if you lose backland um, I guess you can hope Connor Zary becomes a backland plug in the next couple of years. Uh, they got Matthew Coronado, who's probably the best, the highest ceiling prospect in in the organization, but there just isn't much. They've spent a lot of draft picks coming, getting to this point. They've spent even more you know, in the near future here. So, yeah, I think the clock is, the contention window is two to three years at best. Do you have a note in a recent piece you wrote for your site? That they haven't graduated a single player into the into the big club roster since 2018. Yeah, that was discovered by Mike Gould, who writes for Flames Nation. It's been a big topic of discussion in market and on my uh, Discord uh, community as well. It's just the the team has basically stopped looking at kids um, since Sutter arrived. You know, Shillington got in as a guy they seemed pretty ambivalent about, but he, he you know caught a break and got on the roster, but absolutely nobody else has been given much of a look. Maybe Ruzichka here and there, but Sutter seems pretty cool on him. Um, they've got Matthew Phillips, who's been one of the best AHL players probably the last three seasons, um, and he's scoring at a better-than-point-per-game pace right now. Jacob Pelche had one of the best AHL rookie performances I've seen in the, the at least the, the Flames organization for years, and none of them were even really looked at at all. So it's, um, yeah, they're, they're Sutter, at least, in terms of how he's managing the roster, does not rate any of the prospects. And um, there isn't a lot of, there's 
basically no blue chippers in the organization right now. Man, that's tough. I mean, not that it's a unique uh, thing to say about Sutter. I think it probably applies to the majority yeah. of NHL head coaches, right? That's then generally yeah, how they operate. Yeah. They, they trust veterans, guys they've, they've worked with before, they've, they've heard of, they know, um, and kind of feel more reliable and responsible. But for a team that's constructed the way they are, I mean, I mean, I think I've got them at about 77 million or so, or I guess almost 80 if you, if you include Dubé's deal, which I, I forgot in these calculations, around 80 million committed heading yeah. into next season in most of their key guys. Right now, if they were to make a trade to acquire one of these top, six right wingers we've been talking about maybe a defenseman goes out and all of a sudden it's kind of money in money out situation but for the most part regardless of how much the cap goes up there's not too much financial wiggle room here and that's when you have a team that's constructed the way this is it's almost imperative to have at least a few guys on ELCs producing and, and they had that last year right they had Shillington playing for less yeah. than a million they had Mangiapane playing for less than a million all of a sudden you're paying Mangiapane what five plus and that becomes an entirely different calculus and it's almost imperative that they find the next player like that. Now that's easier said than done, but if they really want to have a shot at this beyond just this one season or so, they have to do that. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, you know, being the NHL GM is an efficiency contest, right? And you can't build a contending roster, which has only at market or above market rates for you know, all, the, all the players on it. Just you run out of, you run out of money. So, um, yeah, it's going to be tough to plug holes if you're not at least auditioning players. We really saw it, you know, last year I can almost give the team a pass because they're also one of the healthiest teams in the league, and it's just half the time that's how kids kind of get their uh, a foot in the door because, you know, a veteran goes down for a couple of weeks, kid comes up and you say, oh, you, you can actually play. But uh, it was actually the year before that that annoyed me um, when they, they missed the playoffs and the pandemic there. Yeah. And they're kind of playing out the string, and they really didn't play <laughs> any of the kids much. You know, I think Maddie Phillips got one game. I think Val Mackey got one game, um, and that was about it. And it's just like that was odd and silly to me. At least start to see if any of these guys have, you know, NHL can be NHLers even in you know down the stretch when you're just playing nothing games, right? So you know, Val Mackey really fell off the organization chart here. He, he played like he'd lost all confidence, gets picked up on waivers and is now a regular out in Phoenix and doing actually relatively well there. So it's, it's that sort of stuff that, you know, can be death by a, a thousand paper cuts. If you're, as you try to build a roster and that is efficient from a cap perspective. Oh, it's funny you bring up that the, the shortened season, because yeah, they it was sort of a lost year in the sense that they, they missed the playoffs and they were, they were playing, make up regular season games against the Canucks while other playoff games were happening. And it was, it was a clown show yeah. for a number of reasons, but you know, heading into last year, actually the reason why I was so high on the flames and I, I had like Markstrom for Vesna, Daryl Sutter for Jack Adams, them to win the Pacific. Like uh, all of these were sort of like leans that I had because of yeah. the structure that they showed to end that season. Like I thought it was a very encouraging once Daryl Sutter come in, came in once they sort of started playing the way he wanted them to play all of their defensive numbers were through the roof and all these kind of performance indicators for them suggested that it was a really good team. And so heading into last year, I was like, all right, if they can carry this over, they're going to be really good. And that sort of did happen. So it was encouraging to kind of see it, see it from a test case perspective. But at the same time, you're right. Like that would have been a good opportunity to be using players that you otherwise are unsure about. And instead they like sort of played those games as if they were playoff games in a way. 
Yeah, a totally missed opportunity. And you're right, the Flames started to play much better under Sutter. And one of the things he found was that that top line, you know, the year before, not actually mm-hmm. last year. So, you know, things started to click. But, yeah, it was, you know, last five, maybe even ten games was a lost opportunity to, to get some familiarity with some of their prospects and start seeing where they can, you know, plug cheap money into the roster and not lose too much in terms of performance. Yeah, I guess... You know, I guess Tree Living didn't really have a choice, or I guess I should say I understand why they did what they did because this past summer at the start of it, it was such a nightmare with kind of this indecision hanging over their head and the idea of, okay, we could lose basically our two best forwards for nothing if we're not careful. And so I understand why he was quick to sign Uyghur, sign Huberto long-term, commit the contract to, to Kadri that he did. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, man, what – was it a risk to be basically going all in on a group that you'd never seen play a single game together? All those guys are established players, so it's not necessarily an unknown, but it's it's so rare to see a team commit so many future dollars to a group of players that had never played a game together before. I guess I guess Uyghur and and and, uh, and Huberto had in Florida, but as a group in, in Calgary, I should say. Yeah, it was quite the gamble, absolutely, and you can you can tell that. Uh, they kind of caught blindside by the Goudreau thing, and then Kachuk comes up and, and request, requests a trade. And then they pull this major coup. And I don't think they wanted to risk organizationally losing one or both players to unrestricted free agency yeah. a year after doing that. So it was you know, very much of the moment, but absolutely it's, it is quite the gamble to take. I haven't really talked. Uh, the reason why I'm kind of bringing this up now, it, it's sort of old news now to to be rehashing the summer topics. But I haven't really had a chance to to speak with you since we've got time here. So I was, I was kind of curious if you had been running the Flames and you'd kind of been in the hot seat there. Is that the tact you would have, or the direction you would have taken, or would you have tried to kind of take a a bigger picture view in terms of future assets and and players that? you know, are, are young and productive, but cheaper and give you more flexibility? Or do you think it did make sense for them to kind of go with more of an established group like this and really just kind of double down on, on the veteran approach? Uh, blue sky and just putting me myself in the big chair, yes. I would have started rebuilding mm. years ago, not even just last year. Right. <laughs> probably wouldn't have come to that. Uh, probably at the end of that the pandemic season would have been where I would have pushed the button. Uh, just given that the Goudreau window was starting to close, the team didn't look that good. I probably wouldn't have hired Sutter, even though he's done you know, a pretty masterful job yeah. uh, upon his arrival. But you just see that, the, as I said, the clock is ticking. Now they've reopened the contention window a little bit with um, the major Kachuk trade this summer. But uh, you know, it's the team has to be as good or better than it was last year. And even last year, it didn't get past the second round mm. for any of this to make sense. And if, if they miss that high bar, then uh, things get really, really difficult pretty quickly here in the, in the near future. Yeah, I guess, the, the, you know, it, it adds insult to injury that it happened to the Oilers uh, in terms of losing to them in, in, in round two the way they did. But, yeah. you know, it's always tricky to overreact to one playoff series loss like that, right? You know, the way they lost was in such dramatic fashion in terms of just basically after game one, just, just getting blitzed the way that they did. Did you view that as kind of, all right, there's a, a fundamental flaw here from the perspective of our ability to match up here or, or to kind of get over that hurdle and we need to make a change on the fly? Or do you just kind of 
view it as a one-off. Obviously, you know, Kachuk and Goudreau's free agency status and 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 wanting out influenced a lot of this. It's not like they they yeah. Trebling and the Flames chose to go this route. Um, but was kind of bringing it back and just rolling it over even an option based on how the season had ended in in an ideal world where both guys were still under contract? I think it was their yeah. That was probably their best option. I'm, the nut that Treliving's been trying to crack ever since the team exited its rebuild is: Do we have an, a high-end talent to slay dragons? Meaning, right. you know, when, when they were really good in eighteen nineteen, they got creamed by the emergent Avalanche in the first round yep. because Nathan McKinnon went super nu- like you know, nuclear, right? And yep. then same thing happened in the second round. He got. Uh, Dry title McDavid just you know pulling Globetrotter stuff in the second round, so it was. That's always kind of been the question they've been trying to answer, but the that question got substituted with how do we keep the band together? Because mm-hmm. that was an excellent season. You know, the second round you had a goalie kind of um, <laughs> fall over, all over himself. I think it was a lot closer than the five games that we saw. Yeah, and the team was good enough. If you tried to replicate that, at least that you could see them, you know, finishing near the top of the West and being uh, a going concern uh, absolutely uh, in the playoffs. So, you know, when that didn't come around, now it was how do we continue to contend? And they answered that question with the, the Kachuk uh, <laughs> trade now. Yeah. But now we still don't know if they have enough top-end talent if they, if, that they can, you know, get past an avalanche or even an Oilers in the playoffs now. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I think that's 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 a very good question, and I guess that's why I brought up the idea of committing to this group before actually seeing it in practice. Because all of a sudden, yeah. you're, you've the way you've invested financially is under the presumption that yes, it's different, and now we have answered that that question. But in reality, right. we haven't, and I think these first however many games haven't done anything to inspire confidence that that is the case. Right, so it's kind of a very tricky situation. Yeah, that's the nature of the anxiety in, in market, probably both in the offices in, in the players right. uh, building and for the fans because it is it is that underlying, you know, we didn't even know if we were good enough previously. We've changed out all these core pieces. Now we don't even know if this core is as good as the last one. Yeah. All right. Well, Kent, um, we've been talking here for almost an hour now. Is there any other flames topics that you think are are pressing or worth discussing before we kind of go to the uh the sign out phase of the show no i don't think so i mean it's uh as i said at the the onset it's never boring yeah uh, i don't think they're going to be this bad uh moving forward you know the last few games in this six game skid there's probably been three or four games where on a different night they win and we're not having this conversation but sometimes you just have those periods in, in the NHL where, you know, the other team's chance goes in and your de- yours doesn't. That said, you know, fundamentally, the Flames looking at their underlying numbers are mediocre this year when they were top five in the league across the board. So you can definitely you can definitely tell that Sutter is more worried about that than just strictly the record right now. And he's going to be working on getting them back up to that level. And they honestly, that's where they have to be if, to make any of this make sense. Yeah. Any, because, um, you know, we talked a lot about Huberto, Kadri. I, I didn't think it was that interesting to bring up just because he's been really good. And so it wasn't like in terms of nitpicking his game or, or, or breaking it down or dissecting it. It's like, I don't really have anything 
that thoughtful to add uh, in terms of takeaways like yeah he's been he's been their best player he's been really good is there any um any weaker takes that you have so far now that you've seen him for about 12 or 13 games yeah he's been i think he's been their best defender overall he's got the best underlying numbers too the 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 dirty secret here in, in calgary actually is the previous top pairing uh, of hannafin and anderson have also been pretty miserable to start the year so like Hubert Lindholm, Manjapani, there's all these guys at the top of the rotation who were great last year and just, for whatever reason, can't find it so far this year. And it, it will be, you know, the Flames will get back on their feet uh, if that top pairing starts playing better too. Yeah, and they've been, you know, they started off a bit slow, kind of easing them in, but they've been ramping up Uyghur's usage pretty significantly over the past couple of games. And I think he's he's one of those players where he, he almost looks better the, the more he plays because he's able to effortlessly cover ground and eat up minutes the way that he does and so I think it's smart and I think um, I think the fact that he's showing that he's more than capable of, of doing so in, in Calgary is going only going to empower Sutter to give him more and more more leash here. Yeah, they're going to have to too because they, they don't have Shillington who's out indefinitely yep. for personal reasons. You know, Stone's injured now so they're playing a couple of guys I would say were probably ninth and 10th on the depth, depth chart as a third pairing right now so it's they don't have much of a choice yeah yesterday I was, when i was watching um you know on sports night the and after the puck drop in the first minute or so they they flash the the graphics of each team's lineup right and then they go through the forward lines and they go through the defense pairings and by the time they got to the third pairing for the flames i was like i now watch a lot of hockey and i was like i <laughs> what is <laughs> what is going on where did this come from yeah losing val Mackey on labor hurts a little more because of that and then um connor Mackey, who the team is kind of rated as a good seventh defender has struggled mightily uh with obviously with not a lot of other people but he he looked pretty miserable in his first few outings so it's as i said a lot has gone wrong for the team in this little little skid so but you know we'll see how it goes all right well kent this was a blast i'm sure we're going to check back in uh as the season goes along uh plug some stuff well plug your um your Discord, plug the the website that you're writing at now. I, I want you to get the, all that out there because uh, you know you took a you took a, a, a hiatus there on us. You, you kind of disappeared from the writing scene, but now that you're back up and writing, even if it's kind of on a on a you know, touch and go basis, I, I still every time you put something out there, I'm, I'm I'm quick to read it. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I'm on Twitter at Kent underscore Wilson. Uh, big body presence on Substack, <laughs> and big body presence is actually my Discord uh, server community. Um, the the substacks a bit flames but also more esoteric just philosophy of running a hockey team type of stuff and yep. the discord is pretty much all flames yeah you've been at this for a while i'm, I'm sure i brought this up on the podcast before but uh you know you were you were you were up there at, at the nation network when i first started working and you were one of the one of the people that gave me a, a shot and kind of a foot in the door so i'm always uh, eternally grateful to you and all the others at, at the nation network for doing so Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks for the discussion. And yeah, maybe I can come back, um, you know, after a win streak. Under happier times. Yeah, yeah, certainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. This was awesome, Kent. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening to the PDOcast today. If you enjoyed the show, um, certainly please go and, and give us that five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. And we're going to be back tomorrow with more. I think we're having Ryan Lambert on and we're going to bounce around a variety of different topics around the league. So look forward to that. And uh, yeah, that's about it for today's show. So thank you for listening to the Hockey PDO cast here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.